relationship habits. And the thought behind this series is we are developing godly habits in our relationships and seeking to develop them. We may be here right now, but as God develops our habits, we take steps of faith. And we grow and develop. So therefore, as time goes on, we're no longer back there. We're now moving forward in our relationships. And this isn't just marriage relationships. This is family. This is work and school. This is social relationships. How do you interact with your neighbors, the one that you like and the one that you don't get along with? And how do we interact? And we are discovering habits from the Bible of how to live life differently. And the foundation behind this really is a number of things we've talked about. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about uh, reconciliation. We've talked about choosing to think big picture. We've talked about our local church and how we interact and develop habits within our local church and our relationships. Today we're talking about biblical submission. You've heard of the Me Too movement, but there's also a movement that's rampant in our society. I would call it the Me First movement, where it becomes me-focused. And when you hear the word submission, instantly what may come to your mind is submission as oppression. And that would come from the Me First movement where anything and everything revolves around me. There was a, an epiphany that I came to as a teenager. And I think we all have to come to this realization as we contemplate the universe. And this is going to sound a little bit simplistic to you, but you probably went through a similar thing as you, you begin to contemplate the universe and, and how everything revolves in your own consciousness. And I came to the realization that the world does not revolve around me. Did you have any of those sort of realizations? Or maybe you're still going through that process. And you're still thinking through the world does not revolve around Michael Nelson. And you're like, obviously. But it, it's something we had to come to. I had to come to that realization. There's a definition of submission that's in your bulletin. If you have your bulletin, there's some notes there you can follow along and some blanks you can fill out as well. And the submission says submitting means putting others before yourself. It means not always doing what you want to do. It means putting God's desires above your desires. And as I was studying this out, I came across a, a long quote by a devotional author named Denise Cooper. Let me read it for you. Christian submission is not an act of human will. It is divine work. We can submit to God's authority and His will only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ imputes or places upon us His righteousness to believers. So the work of submission is faith. Through faith in Christ, we receive His righteousness as our own and keeps His commandments through the power of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, Christ e eternally intercedes on our behalf before the Father. Christ empowers us to follow Him in submission. Biblical submission is a supernatural work of God. 
when you hear the word submission, we naturally will think about everything it's not. And as you begin to study it out, oftentimes scriptures that come to your mind, you may think of Ephesians chapter number five which is a passage that is, is recorded in the Bible. And it, it says in, chapter, in verses 24 and 25 of Ephesians 5, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And you stop right there and you go, I don't want that because we take it from a human point of view as in submission is something that is all about me. But that's not what we find here at all. It says that as the church submits to Christ. So our local church is a picture of our relationships. And who are we following? It's not the pastor. It's not our individual personalities or our desires. We're following. It says there submits to who? To Christ. Also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Then it goes on. And we must read verse 25. Otherwise, we have an, an incomplete view. And it goes on and says, husbands, love your wives. And who's our example? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. As you go through a list of submission, oftentimes we think of submission and we have to describe what it's not in order to understand what it is. And in the marriage submission, we often read, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We go, I can't do that because we are thinking in a human form and in a natural way of thinking that's oppressive. Submission in marriage is not agreeing with everything your husband says, leaving your brain and your will at the wedding altar or avoiding every effort to make a change in your husband, which I know that's not true. Putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Or a wife gets her uh, her personal strength and spiritual strength from her husband. Or a wife is to act out of fear. That's not what we're talking about, biblical submission at all. That's why I made the, the distinction between worldly submission and biblical submission. And this trickles down in all of our relationships. And I do believe, and I'm not going to try to overstate this, but I, this is a true statement. I do believe that if we can understand and get submission right in our relationships, our relationships begin to strengthen and we actually have power through the Holy Spirit as opposed to fighting against God and his will for our families, for our relationships in our church, in our relationships at work, at school. Because that passage in Ephesians 5 says, look carefully in verse 15. Look carefully then how to walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. We can relate to that, can't we? We live in some very evil days, submitting one another out of reverence for Christ. Biblical submission is not me focused and it is not even society focused. It begins with being Christ focused. Now, as I said in the beginning, you when you hear the word submission, you, your stomach may get tight and you may choose to be offended today. And I, that's not my goal at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And if chauvinism comes to your mind and you hear the word submission, that's not our goal at all. We actually want to see the opposite here. We want to see you liberated. But we have to have the right example. So often our examples of submission are not biblical 
role, role models of submission. We see fallible humans as if that is the, the correct form of submission. But so let's go back to what the Bible says. Let's go back and see what Jesus uh, teaches through his own life and example of how we're to live in freedom through submission and biblical submission. The foundation for this entire series is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which takes the focus off of ourselves and puts it upon Jesus Christ. And every Sunday through this series, I've quoted this verse, and hopefully you're beginning to memorize it. And you're beginning to think through and think, I know that verse already, and that's exactly what I want you to think. Because it says there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So therefore, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you are in Christ. It says he is a new creation. That's talking about you. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, now you are a new creation. Don't try to live biblical submission by yourself in your own strength. We can go back and say, what does Jesus teach us? Earlier, I encouraged you to turn to Philippians. Remember that? In the book of Philippians. Let me give you a, just a quick background of that book. The, the underlying theme of the book of Philippians in the Bible is joy. Written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a real church in a real area of modern day Greece called Philippi. And the city of Philippi had a church in it. And this church had some problems. And they were being challenged to overcome these problems with joy. But it wasn't just someone telling you, be happy. That's one of those unhelpful advice. If you feel stressed, if you feel overwhelmed, someone, come, someone coming along and being dismissive and just saying, just be happy, what's wrong with you, is some of the most unhelpful advice. So the Apostle Paul says, I want you to experience joy. In fact, he says in, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, and it is my prayer that you, your, your, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. But he, just, he went on from that, rather than just saying, I want you to be happy, I want your love to abound more and more. Because this church was going through some serious issues. There was division amongst this church because there were some false teachers that had come in and begun to teach false doctrines. And there was division in the church as a result of that. There was disagreement about what was true. There was also a disagreement within the church, just personality-wise, and there was conflict within the church. And how do we overcome these? The Apostle Paul gives us, really, to me, one of the most unusual ways of tact, because as a, a kind of a pragmatic guy, just be happy, just get along. You ever tell your kids that? Just stop fighting. If you have more than one child, you've said that more than a dozen times this week. And we see here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And he, then he goes on and he, he challenges us, how can we live in this humility? And he gives the solution as biblical submission. Now we can see this in submission to our government. 
submission to God, submission to our spouses, submission to our workmates, submission to our boss, submission to our teachers, submission to police. I'm going to read chapter number two of Philippians, verses five through 11. It's on the screen for you to follow. But if you have your Bibles, you can follow along as well. But also have these scriptures laid out inside of your bulletin as well, because I want you to see the various points. This is not an overly and deep thought out message today. The beauty is the Bible already gives us the solution for biblical submission. Now we just have to delve in and to find out who is our example. So as we read through this, you're going to discover our example is, and there's no surprise for this answer, our example is Jesus Christ himself. Anytime that you're in church and you don't know what the answer is, nine times out of ten, if you just guess Jesus, you're probably going to be correct. And this is one of those examples right now of Jesus is our example. It says in verse number five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the goal to the glory of God, the father. This morning, we see four different habits to biblical submission. And they're laid out here in this passage here. And I want you to, as we go through these, I'm going to give some illustrations. But you may come to your own illustrations in your mind and begin to think to yourself, ah, I, I can see that in my life. And you begin to put in some of the puzzle pieces in your own life. So as we go through this, I'm going to give some examples. But I want you to discover your own examples also. The first habit to biblical submission we find in this passage. The number one is think of others. Our example, of course, is Jesus Christ. And he says, have this mind among yourselves. So let's think the way that Jesus thinks. And you think about submission begins to take the focus off of ourselves and it places it upon others. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus had unselfish concern for others. As you read through the, the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the books of the Bible, you see the account of Jesus, and he was hanging out with people that were the less than desirables of the society. He was hanging out with the people known as the sinners, they were known as the publicans. They were the prostitutes he was with. He was with the people that were the hard to love people. And he was found time and time again to be serving them, to be healing them, to be teaching them. He would be pointing out the people that everyone else would ignore. And he would point that person out and focus in upon them, ignoring all of those people that seemingly have everything all together in their lives. Jesus 
thought of others. When he came to earth, he thought of others. He left the beauty and the splendor of heaven and the comfort of heaven and the glory of heaven and continual praise of heaven to come to earth. And I've often considered to myself, this is the way my brain works. Why did Jesus come in the first century when there was no indoor plumbing? And when you're cold today, there was no central heating. There was no electric blankets. There's all the things he had to walk so far. He came in a very difficult period in history because he was thinking of others. Our missionary to Vanuatu, we, we financially and prayerfully support a missionary family in Vanuatu named Jeremy and Liz Pinero. And Jeremy told a story a while ago about how he was trying to teach his men from a Western cultural mindset of how they were supposed to treat their wives. Because in Vanuatu, and I'm not, this is not a good thing, in Vanuatu, many times the, the, the marriages were arranged by families. In fact, the way that a marriage ceremony would be performed in the islands was they would have a mat in the middle of the main, main hut and they would have the bride sitting there and sometimes they would have to dr- literally drag, kicking and screaming, the groom. And when they placed the groom on the mat, they were married and there was no getting out of it. And sometimes, they were, of course, they were willing partners, but other times it was just out of you and you, you're together now. Like, no. Please no. And so therefore, as a result, and this is not a good thing, the the ladies are seen as many times commodities. And so Jeremy was teaching uh, the biblical principle of honoring your wife and loving your wives. And one of the examples that he gave was when you enter a, a room, when you enter church, for example, Open the door for your wife. Or when you're out in public, open the door for your wife and let your wife go in first. And all the men began to laugh. And Jeremy thought, that's a whole bunch of chauvinists. Now, they're not considering their wives. They're not honoring their wives. And what's he going to do? Then he asked, why would you not open the door for your wives? And these men said, when we're out, we don't know what's behind that door. Why would I send my wife to go into a scary room that I don't know what's behind that door first? I'm the protector of my wife, so therefore I'm going to go in first to make sure it's safe. And then my wife and family can follow behind me. You see, sometimes we think to ourselves, our Western way of thinking is the only way of thinking. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. So now, for now on, I go first. (laughs) (laughs) We think of others. We're being considerate. Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, began to think of you as an individual. Have you ever considered that in eternity past, before the creation of the entire world, Jesus Christ knew who you were? And he said, I love and you put your name in there so much that I'm going to leave the glory of heaven and come to earth. This is an absolute contrast to the, what we see in the book of Isaiah and a description of Satan. The angel Lucifer in Isaiah chapter number 14, verses 13 and 14, gives us a, a picture of what was going through the mind of Lucifer. Lucifer, of course, is Satan. And Lucifer is a name to, that we have today that we think, I'm never going to name my son Lucifer. I'm named Michael after an angel, Michael. It literally means the messenger of God. 
the angel Lucifer, please don't name your children Lucifer, Lucifer was the most powerful angel in all of heaven. He was known as being absolutely beautiful. He was in the very throne room of God, in the presence of God. And by all accounts, he was the second most powerful being in the universe after God himself. And his attitude, and we see on the screen, Isaiah chapter number 14, we see, it says, you said in your heart, talking about Lucifer, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. In other words, he says, I want to be God. I want to be over God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That is Satan. And you know what we see often when we have the me first movement of our own hearts? Is that we actually begin to emulate really Satan, as opposed to emulate Jesus Christ when he's thinking of others. As we move on from there, we think the first habit is think of others. The second habit is serve others. And we can certainly see that in the life of Jesus. Again, through the gospel, we see Jesus serving others. And the scripture says in verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Last week we looked at, and one of the, the principles that we, and the keys we sought to, sought to apply was treat others how you want to be treated. Well, here we see Jesus Christ as our example took on the form of a servant. He is the creator of the universe. We find out in the, in the scriptures and the description of the creation and how the universe was created that God the Father and God the Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit were all actively involved in the creation of the universe. And now we have the creator being a servant to our, us creation. Probably the most well-known example of that is Jesus Christ himself when he was nearing the end of his ministry here on earth. He had been with his disciples for over three years. He had taught them and taught them and showed them and he given the example. And really this service and servant-like submission attitude hadn't clicked in his disciples' minds yet. They had seen it, but they hadn't internalized it yet. So often we're the same. We know this. We know as Christians and followers of Christ, we're supposed to serve others. But something has to do, the proverbial penny has to drop in our minds, and we go, ah, now I can feel it. And Jesus, nearing the end of his time on earth, days before he went to the cross, was teaching his disciples. And as he was teaching them, he, they were in a, in a room, and he goes and he brings out a pot of water and he brings out a towel and he gets down on his knees and he takes the sandals off these rough smelly feet of his 12 disciples and begins to wash them in jewish culture that was the most menial task in the entire household the lowest servant of the entire household or the lowest person would be that's why i'm glad that i was the oldest son <laughs> because I have younger sisters, because the lowest would be washing the feet. And all these 12 disciples, including Jesus, were sitting around, and they're probably looking at each other going, 
I'm not washing feet. No, you're not washing feet. No, I'm more than you. you know, you're more than, and someone had to do the washing of their feet. And come, here Jesus comes along and he washes their feet. In, Ma- in John chapter number 13, verse 8, Peter, the disciple Peter, responds and says to Jesus, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus responds, and he's giving a picture of really his own sacrifice on the cross. If, you, if I do not wash you, you have no share of me. Culturally, this was quite an awkward moment for, for Peter and the other disciples. Their master was serving them in a really humble way. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And you know what Peter's response was? He says, Jesus, I don't want you just to wash my feet. Can you wash my head? Wash my whole body because I want to be 100% a follower of you. And I believe at that point they begin to understand that's what Jesus was talking about by serving other people. He gave them the, the beautiful and perfect example. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ on the cross did not die by accident. He knew exactly what he was going to do. and knew exactly that he was going to be sacrificed on the cross. And he said, I'm going to do this willingly. And that's our third habit. We see, think of others, serve others. Now, it's willingly sacrifice. You know, we sacrifice sometimes because we've made a mistake. Because you've been dumb and you've done something wrong or you've broken something, now you're going to pay a price. I mean, I'm being very stereotypical. You see the guy at the florist? Standing there, lined up with other guys that have all made mistakes. And they have a, block, a box of chocolate in their hands and the flowers in their hands. And they're going to go say, I'm sorry, I was dumb. Here, this is a different sort of sacrifice. This is a willing sacrifice. This isn't an apology sacrifice. This is going to cost me a lot because I sped and therefore I have a fine. Or I made a big error and I got mad and I broke something, so it's going to cost me a lot. This is a willing sacrifice because you're thinking something bigger and greater than just yourselves. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Being found in human form, Jesus He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And it wasn't just any sort of death, because sometimes death can be peaceful. And death can be just closing your eyes and waking up in eternity. But his death was the death on a cross. And as as personally offensive, and I don't particularly like watching the movies where they depict Jesus on the cross because it makes me uncomfortable, but they're important to watch and it's important to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made physically for us. As they, they drove nails into his, his, his hands and nails into his feet, as they beat him with whips, as they mocked him, they put the crown of thorns on his head and they spat on him and they placed him up on that cross. As horrible as that was, it was also the willing sacrifice of taking the payment and the punishment for every single sin that we've ever committed upon himself. And Jesus didn't do that because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But from eternity past, Jesus Christ knew who you were and he said, I'm going to submit to the will of the Father and I'm going to take on this this sacrifice on your behalf. 
He was submitting. This wasn't a sorry gift because he had made a mistake. This was something that he knew from the beginning of time when he created us that he was going to have to sacrifice so we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 through 30 says this, talking about husbands and wives as the example. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So it gives us a high standard. I love my body. I don't want to hurt my physical body. I don't think you do either. Uh, people, and granted, some people do self-harm and hurt themselves, but that's not the, the right way to live. He goes on, He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. I have a friend who lives in the United States who's a pastor. His name is Scott Quidley. Several years ago, began to, he got sick and they diagnosed that he had kidney failure. And his, both of his kidneys were failing. He was on dialysis and he was deathly ill. The prognosis was, you are going to pass away very soon. And a lady that he did not know previously, named Delma, Delma heard about the Quidley family. And she said, I will willingly give up one of my kidneys for a stranger because I've heard what he does. I know he's a good, honorable man, and I want to give him one of my kidneys. And I was always thinking about that, and it came up on Facebook this week, and I was discussing it with my wife. How do you ever get over that gift that was given to you? And this is the seventh anniversary, and Delma wrote on her Facebook page, Happy blessed seven-year kidneyversary. Scott Quidley. And then she wrote a beautiful testimony. She said, Seven years ago, the good Lord allowed me to meet this wonderful family, the Quidleys. After a short time of hearing about his kidney failure, I decided to give him my kidney. So I got to say, God is good. I'm always up for telling my testimony of how it all came together, how our stories collided with each other. It's quite amazing. See, people are willing to serve when it doesn't cost us anything. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I have no doubt that every single day, Scott thinks about Delma. And he thinks about her sacrifice. And I was thinking about this this week. How would I respond? Like, how can you say thank you enough? How can you respond other than just honoring? And Delma has a beautiful, her own outlook on this. Rather than being self-focused, she turns it around and glorifies God. British pastor and, and author, a man who died a hundred years ago, J.H. Jowett, he said this, Ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. A hundred years ago that man died, and it's still true today. Ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. Our youth band was up here the, uh, last night, and they had put in hours and hours and hours of practice. And without practice and practice and practice, you can't stand up and say, today I'm going to, to do things. You must put in the work, and God blesses. For Delma, she was able to give a kidney. So she's, but you know what's beautiful about that is her inner posts. 
She wasn't saying, look at me, I'm amazing. She turns it around and says, God is good. Our first three habits. First of all, think of others. Second, serve others. The third is willingly sacrifice. And finally is glorify God. That's the goal. And the beauty of what that jumped out of that story with Delma was she turned this around and says, God is good. She gave praise to God, even though she's the one that made the sacrifice. She was simply submitting to the will of God. And God, through the Holy Spirit, was able to work in and through her to save a man's life. Have you ever considered that your submission can be glorifying to God? Your submission is an act of worship. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is God's response now. Therefore God has highly exalted him, as the highly exalted Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God our Father. God did the work. It was his idea. And ultimately, Jesus submitted to that, to the glory of God the Father. As we hear the word submission, we don't naturally like to submit. None of us do. And if you actually say, no, I love to submit, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> liar. We, none of us want to submit. So therefore, we must go back to living not naturally, but supernaturally. And we can't do that by our examples of the world and society around us because we're flawed. We must go back to Jesus. So as you go out this week, you're, you will have opportunities to stand strong and be me-focused, or you can allow God through the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. How will you live differently? Let's go through those again. We can think of others. That's a habit. Continually think of others. We can serve others. The habit is the first choice. I'm going to see how can I serve someone through these situations? How can I look for opportunities to willingly sacrifice? And the beauty is God will prompt you through the Holy Spirit in ways that he hasn't prompted me or someone else, but he'll prompt you in a particular area. And you can willingly give where other people go. That's weird. And then finally, we do all of that to glorify God. So this week, you are going to have opportunities in your relationships to live out one of these or all of these habits. My challenge to you is don't miss the opportunities that God gives to us. And the question is, in what ways will you live differently starting today? And the reason why I put in today is because it's so easy to delay these things and go, that's excellent, I'll start that tomorrow. And tomorrow comes along and you go, that's excellent. I will start that tomorrow. So let's start that right now. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And my challenge to you is to spend some time in prayer and allow God to work in your hearts. And before the rush of the next few minutes goes, it's sunny outside. There's coffee or the hot water outside. And there's a time for coffee and tea. I believe some people brought some biscuits so we can enjoy a time of fellowship together. But you know, the real key is don't miss this moment to let God work in your heart because you could have been anywhere today, but God brought you here. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, thank you for the example we find in your word of Jesus Christ. We know we can't do this in our own strength and our own power. So Lord, you've given us the Holy Spirit. We know that we can't see 
true biblical submission in our society apart from you. So you've given us your word, the Bible. And as we see your example of Jesus Christ in there, Lord, it has to become practical. It has to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. So Lord, as we, we seek to allow you to take something that's in our head into our hearts and through that into our actions, Lord, I pray that you will do what you promised to do, that your Holy Spirit will be strong. You'll guide us and mold us. Lord, you brought us here together for a reason. So Lord, I pray that uh, the message will, will be impactful, the worship will be meaningful, our time of fellowship afterwards and time of connection will be purposeful in the sense that we're seeking to live out this type of biblical submission so that we can think of others, we can serve others, we can sacrifice willingly, and through that ultimately glorify you in our actions, in our, in, in our relationships. And in Jesus' name, amen.